Hello, America. This is the Sean Hannity Show. And as you can instantly tell, I am not Sean Hannity. Sean is finishing up an extremely well-deserved Christmas vacation and will return after New Year's tanned, rested, and ready to go for the craziness of 2022 that lies ahead. Oh, boy. I am Jeffrey Lord of the podcast The Word of the Lord and my website, thejeffreylord.com. I'm also a contributing editor of the American Spectator and a columnist for Newsbusters, the great media research center site that covers the liberal media. We are going to have some great guests today, including Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs, James O'Keefe of Project Veritas, who has scored a terrific uh, Christmas Eve victory when a New York State judge ordered the New York Times to return internal Project Veritas documents. He's also got another scoop here that is just stunning that we're going to talk to James about. But first, oh, oh, wait, wait, first there, there's, there's somebody. So, so first of all, I was going to say, be. where's my first of all? <laughs> I don't know what this first, first, or as my mother likes to the say. The great Linda place. McLaughlin, who is <laughs> sitting over somewhere saying, how did he get in the building? I'll tell you, they just let anybody in these days. You know, Man. New York is very suspect, and now it's confirmed. I'm like, how did you get in? Man, they let they, you all the way up. They, huh? want, they not only wanted my VAX card, my driver's license, they wanted me to go back You're to so Massachusetts sh- and get my <laughs> uh, birth birth certificate, get my Social Security, oh, you know, all of this sort of thing. It's just terrible. And, and then they shrugged and said, that's what Linda said. Yeah, exactly. They were like, oh, yeah, we know her. Yeah, everybody's very familiar with her. She's so friendly when she comes <laughs> Well, we just do can't. really have a great show today, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. And Sean, and I know everybody misses Sean, but uh, uh, we are going to be unbelievably crazy next year with 2022, and I think it's going to be a very good year, as we learned uh, a little bit about in Virginia the other week. So uh, on we go, and it will be uh, after New Year's uh, in very short order, and Sean will be back. So thank you, Linda. And now let's let me just uh, start out by talking about the news that emerged as Christmas Eve Eve dawned last week. That news, as reported by Fox, was that Pennsylvania Republican Congressman Scott Perry announced that he was refusing to appear before the January 6th committee. Congressman Perry is chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and, full disclosure, my own congressman, where he does a fabulous job representing his constituents of the 10th Pennsylvania District. Congressman Perry's refusal to cooperate is a big deal, because unlike former Trump aide Steve Bannon and ex-Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Scott Perry is a sitting member of Congress, and that makes a big deal. Um, the idea that the House of Representatives would even think of issuing a subpoena to one of its own members has simply not been done before. But if, in fact, I would suggest, the sham that is the January 6th committee does, in fact, issue a subpoena to Congressman Perry, then Katie, bar the door. This would instantly, instantly and correctly lead to Republican demands, I would believe, that the committee subpoena not only Speaker Nancy Pelosi, but committee member and Democrat Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin. Why? Nancy Pelosi as Speaker and Jamie Raskin as uh, a member not only of the January 6th committee, but he is the senior Democrat on the House Administration Committee. They both have a direct responsibility for the security of the Capitol building and the surrounding Capitol complex. 
On the face of it, neither did their job of securing the Capitol. Thus, if a subpoena is issued for Congressman Perry, that should open the door for Republican demands to know what Pelosi and Raskin and their staffs knew about what would and did happen on January 6th, and when did they know it, and most importantly, what did they do about it? In fact, the House Administration Committee, on which Raskin serves, specifically say this, says this about its responsibilities. And I'm quoting directly from their description of their responsibilities. Quote, another major preoccupation since the 2001 terrorist attacks and Capitol Hill anthrax attacks has been improving security on the House side of the complex while maintaining a high level of accessibility for citizens. In its role as overseer of House security, the committee has worked closely with the Capitol Police. One of the committee's first challenges was to coordinate resources to secure the campus, facilitate evacuations when necessary, and suggest alternate locations for Congress to meet. Along with providing updated communications equipment to members and staff, the committee also provided congressional offices with a campus-wide network for the announcement of emergency broadcasts, unquote. You got all that? That's uh, bureaucratic language for the speaker and Mr. Raskin and others are uh, in charge of capital security. So the obvious question is, what did Pelosi and Raskin do? If they, as required, worked closely with the Capitol Police, what specifically did they do to secure the Capitol? And what did they not do? Every single record of Pelosi and Raskin's should be subpoenaed if we're going to go down this road, just as they are demanding of the committee's Republican targets, their own text, emails, phone records, and those of their staff should be requested. According to Politico, the January 6th committee has notified nearly three dozen company, companies, communication companies, including Verizon, T-Mobile, Gab, Discord, and Twitter, to preserve the records of those they are investigating. That list of those they are investigating should now be expanded to include Pelosi and Raskin. And for that matter, every member of the January 6th committee itself to see what they were saying during the run-up to all of this. As Sean has often said, the tip of that, the tip-off that the January 6th committee was going to be a sham, a political witch hunt, was when Speaker Pelosi violated the norms of the House by denying Republican leader Kevin McCarthy his two picks for the Republican seats on the committee. Leader McCarthy designated Ohio's Congressman Jim Jordan and Indiana's Jim Banks, terrific members both. Pelosi refused the appointments. Both men have had the audacity to, collection, to question Pelosi's actions, and so she went out of her way to select Republican representatives, and I put Republican in quotes, Representatives Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, both, not coincidentally, staunch never-Trumpers. Shocking. Not. In other words, the January 6th committee and its members are the personification of the Queen in Alice in Wonderland, who demanded sentence first, verdict afterwards. Decades ago, the Austrian economist Ludwig von Mies, in his classic Socialism and Economic and Sociological Analysis, said, those of who, said this of those who, like Pelosi and her lynch mob that is the January 6th committee, quote, they are utterly intolerant zealots 
They entirely disregard the possibility that there could arise with disagreement with regard to the question of what is right and expedient and what is not. They advocate advocate enlightened despotism, convinced that the enlightened despot will in every detail comply with their own opinion. They are utterly intolerant and are not prepared to allow any discussion. Every advocate of the left is a potential dictator. What he, and I would add today, she, plans is to deprive all other men of all their rights and to establish his or her own friends, unrestricted omnipotence, unquote. That is exactly a description of the January 6th committee, its members and its real leader, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and the talk of subpoenaing sitting Congressman Scott Perry, but not Pelosi herself, is the proof of this rancid political pudding. Now, let's talk uh, about one other thing here that we're going to get into later today. The liberal media, as the late comedian Joan Rivers, comedian Joan Rivers used to say, can we talk? As you know, our friend Sean Hannity refers frequently to what he calls the media mob, giving chapter and verse to illustrate that journalism is dead. Sean is exactly right. And what always amazes me is that the mob and the media never seems to realize that the most damage they cause is to themselves and their own credibility. Along these lines, I asked this question the other day in a Newsbusters column. Question, what do Trump-Russia collusion, Covington, Kentucky high schooler Nicholas Sandman, the BLM riots of 2020, January 6th, and Kyle Rittenhouse all have in common? Answer, all were presented to the American people by the mainstream media through the lens of a liberal narrative. Long gone was news presented in the fashion of that once famous line from the old Dragnet TV show, where Sergeant Joe Friday, inquiring into a crime, says to a witness, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. In today's media world, that line has been replaced by just the liberal narrative, man, just the liberal narrative. Thus it is that the liberal narrative, and we're going to have a conversation about this in a bit with our friend Sean Spicer. Thus it is that the liberal narrative, not the facts, dictated that President Trump must be portrayed as having colluded with Russia to win the 2016 election, when in fact it wasn't a fact at all. It was, in fact, Hillary Clinton's campaign that was paying for the infamous dossier. Thus it was that all those riots in 2020 that resulted in death, looting, burning, and destruction were really described as mostly peaceful, quote-unquote. Thus it was that perfectly decent high schoolers Sandman and Rittenhouse had to be portrayed falsely as racist brats. And but, of course, the riot by a relative handful of out-of-control protesters in a massive and peaceful crowd of tens of thousands at the Capitol on January 6th had to be portrayed as a, quote, insurrection, unquote, with the U.S. government itself supposedly hanging by a thread, with a coup attempt incited by President Trump under the way. Wow. Talk about the big lie. The results of all this garbage is that the American people, in true show-me mood, began to realize they were not being given just the facts, journalism, in any given situation, but rather they were being fed liberal narratives masquerading as facts, or, as the shorthand became, fake news. And as that realization set in, liberal media credibility took one self-inflicted hit 
after another. The audience for Just the Facts News from Fox, Newsmax, One America News grew and grew and grew, as did their audience and their ratings. At this point, the, quote, mainstream media, unquote, has done so much self-inflicted damage to itself that one can only wonder if they will literally survive, much less thrive again. Poll after poll in the last couple years, as reported by outlets like the Knight Foundation and Gallup Poll or over there in the Western Journal or a Morning Consult Poll, have headlines like this. Most Americans say they have lost trust in the media. News media credibility rating falls to a new low. Poll shows number of Americans with no trust in mass media has hit an all-time high. Then there are the endless headlines that are network-specific, like these. These are the headlines of plenty that, ha- that are out. you can find out there in Google land. And not to be forgotten are the seemingly endless number that are media outlet-specific, most frequently CNN. Headlines like these. CNN's ratings are an unfixable disaster. CNN's 68% in prime time as Fox News Channel crushes competition in quarter two cable news ratings. Biggest loser, CNN's October ratings collapse to 661,000 primetime viewers. And oh yes, don't forget MSNBC as here. MSNBC is in more trouble than CNN. The seemingly never asked question is, why? Because, in fact, the answer as to why millions of Americans are abandoning the media mob could not be more crystal clear. The American people have begun to realize they were not being given just the facts, journalism, in any given situation, but rather they were being fed liberal narratives masquerading as facts, or, again, as the shorthand became, fake news. And as that realization set in, liberal media credibility took one self-inflicted hit after another. The audience for Just the Facts News from Fox, Newsmax, One America News grew and grew and grew, as did their respective audiences and their ratings. At this point, the mainstream media has done so much self-inflicted damage to itself that one can only wonder if they will literally survive, much less again. So stay tuned and we will find out. And you know, there's a reason why they hated former President Trump so much because he called him out all the time. I heard him do that as early as 2013 when I first met him. And uh, he kept it up while he was candidate and president. So I will be back with more of the Sean Hannity in just a minute. Hello, America. This is Jeffrey Lord of the Word of the Lord podcast and thejeffreylord.com sitting in for our friend Sean. I hope you will uh, give us a buzz at 800-941-SEAN. That's S-E-A-N, 800-941-7326, in other words. All right, fine. Let's uh, move on to our first guest. That would be Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs. Uh Congressman Biggs is a member not only from Arizona, but he has been a uh, terrific member of the Freedom Caucus, of which my own congressman, Scott Perry, is now the chairman. Um, Congressman, welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. And I'm so glad, you know, uh, before I knew you were going to be a guest, I wrote my own monologue on what they're trying to do with Scott Perry and subpoenas. And I was really glad to see that you have opposed recommending contempt 
of Congress charge uh, against Mark Meadows, whom I've also met along the path. Um, this committee is out of control here. Uh, give me your, give us your thoughts here on on where you're going with this and why. Well, first of all, um, this is a it's a witch hunt. They're looking around trying to uh, bring. Uh, charges, ultimately, they would like to bring charges against Donald Trump. This is like a third impeachment. But right. they want to take down, yeah, Jeff, they want to take down everybody that was associated with him, supported him, worked for him, was outspoken in his defense. And um, so so they're going after uh, Scott uh, Perry, uh, Congressman Perry, because they want to they, they want to get into his personal records. They want to get into Mark Meadows' personal records. They're, they want to get into the guy who, who signed the the uh, the permit for the for the one of the January six rallies they want to get into his right. This is just a witch hunt. They want to go everywhere, and the worst kept secret is that they want to somehow refer Donald Trump over to DOJ for criminal charges. Well, that is what they're about. I, I have never seen anything. I had a, the privilege with my some of my colleagues from the American Spectator uh, of being in the Oval Office, and I think it was November of nineteen nineteen to chat with President Trump. And, you know, I was reminiscing a little bit about having worked there for President Reagan. And I said to President Trump at the time, I thought things were bad when they went after Reagan. I said, I have never seen anything like this. This is really bad. This is about uh, destroying, uh, you know, the, the Trump. first it was the Trump candidacy, then the Trump presidency, uh, then it's his businesses. I, I mean, the fact that he is not a part of the Washington swamp just infuriates these people, and they can't abide it. And and this has become very, very dangerous. I think. Yeah, Jeff, you you, you touched on something that, that is so critical that uh, Donald Trump was elected by the people in 2016 and probably in 2020 to come in and shake up the swamp, the elite, the establishment, and and that and the establishment is kind of a bipartisan arrangement of power sharing at some at some point, if you will. Um, and it spreads the the power, um, and they take turns, but they don't want to disrupt it. They don't they they don't want the size of government reined in. Uh, they they're all making money on this. They all get power and aggrandizement on this. And Donald Trump shook it shook it up, and so they tried to wreck the campaign, as you say. But right now, what they want to do is they want to make sure that Donald Trump, nor anyone who supports him or is like him in any way, you know whether. They're, they're Donald Trump without the mean tweets or whatever. They want to make sure nobody, Donald Trump or anybody like him, ever runs for office again. Well, that's that's right. And that's why I think this is exceptionally dangerous. Um, I, I, I just remember how uh, a few days after he was inaugurated in 2017, there was an article on the front page of the Washington Post about... <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe this as I was reading this. Washington bureaucrats, and they named the agencies that they were in, were working with uh, Obama, former Obama staffers, to find ways to undermine the Trump presidency. Uh, To this day, this leaves me virtually speechless when you hear this. But there is such animosity, and... And, Congressman, I worked for uh, quite a while in Washington. I worked, uh, I don't know if you remember, Congressman Bud Schuster from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. who was yeah. my boss, and I started out down there with him as his press secretary and alleged director and all of this and went over to the Senate eventually for Senator Hines and then into the Reagan White House and then for Jack Kemp. I, I just have never seen this level of antipathy 
towards a president. And uh, it, it really it, it worries me because it's as if these people think, as if, or they do think, that they are a ruling class and that all the rest of us, which is to say, in your case, all of your constituents who get up in the morning and go to work and do a day's, you know, work and, and take care of their families and all this, as if they are some sort of inferior being, or as Hillary Clinton famously said, the deplorables. This has become, as it were, a class issue almost. And I, I think it's really dangerous because what's at stake here? They want complete and total power. And that is very, very dangerous. Yeah. Jeff, I'll tell you, I, 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 with your experience, you, you recognize this. But this is a, a continuation of centralization of power away from the states into Washington, D.C. And then, as you know, the way even Congress works, uh, most of the power resides in the, in the top two uh, leaders uh, in each party in both, in both the Senate and the House. So they've got masses, massive amounts of, of power there. And then you have the bureaucracy. And, 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 and what we've seen in the past is bureaucrats would slow walk and try to prevent policies they disagreed yes. with from getting through. But what we saw with Trump is an, an overt attempt to undermine him and, and to prevent anything uh, from his agenda from coming through. Well, that's right. And, you know, they, they may not like the agenda, but they didn't elect him. Uh, that's right. I, yeah. You know, I mean... As I was, as the whole thing, and Sean did a fabulous job unraveling all of the deep state shenanigans with uh, the, with uh, James Comey and the FBI and the CIA, and uh, he had on, you know, John Solomon and some of these other uh, great investigative journalists, and they really put concentrated effort because nobody else was doing it. And and it really is disturbing uh, when when you would see all this and you'd realize that some unelected FBI official is sitting there saying that he's going to figure out how to stop uh, the election of a presidential candidate he doesn't like. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this, uh, Congressman. When I was a kid, the the bestseller of the day was a novel, a political novel called Seven Days in May, which was made into a hit movie with Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas and the Hollywood A-listers of the day. And it was all about a military attempt to overthrow a president. And I, I listen to these things that I've, we have heard in the last uh, year or so or more, and wow. I mean, I think uh, this is far outstripping a fictional piece of work that in the day was a bestseller and a hit movie. I mean, this is, this is no kidding around stuff. Yeah. I, Jeff, when you, when you put it that way, people need to realize we saw under Obama the weaponization of the IRS, for instance, against uh, right. conservative organizations. But right now what's weaponized is every agency in the federal government. Now, you have no, Biden has no control over his cabinet. His cabinet are a bunch of indiv individual fiefdoms right now. Right. And also the bureaucracies that are attended to those, they're independent of effectively the secretaries, and they are weaponized. And so you've got DOJ and all the police state apparatus. You've got Homeland security you've got you've got treasury you've got uh, all of these areas being weaponized against american citizens you've got the abuse of the patriot act uh, against american citizens you've got the inspector general uh, who's independent coming in and saying yeah you, you have you've we saw fraud in a fisa uh, warrant app we've seen misuse of the fisa uh, that's the foreign intelligence surveillance act uh, courts those courts are, are intended to go after foreign spies. That's what they're supposed to be. 
but they are all coming around against us. We have created this apparatus that has been turned upon American citizens. And uh, right now, uh, you know, you've got you've got a number of members of Congress who want to uh, exacerbate that problem, get more power and control, and go after um, President Trump, not just President Trump, but anybody, as I say, that was associated with them. That's why you're going after Mark Meadows, uh, Steve Bannon, whoever else they've got listed. If you're a member of Congress, they want to go after us. They're going after Scott, Congressman Scott Perry, who's going to replace me as chairman of, of the House Freedom Caucus. That is what's going on, and it is in this tidal wave of, of of abusive acts on the part of people who are unelected and unaccountable to the American people as well. And, and it is it's dangerous to the republic. One of the things that concerns me in the Biden era is, well, we have a cut, I think, of uh, – uh, President Biden appearing to forget uh, the defense secretary's name. Let me see if we can just hang on a second and listen to this. I want to thank all of our distinguished guests that are here today, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the, the sec- secretary of the, uh, of the uh, um, se- secretary Austin. Wow. Um, yeah. what, is, what does one say about this? I mean, I have to say, Two things, two relevant factors for my own life. One, I took care of my uh, mom in her 90s when she slowly glided down into dementia. And it happened like that. Periodically, she wouldn't know where she was. Sometimes she'd she'd forgot who I was. And I'm her only child, her only son. And the other thing is, in in the Reagan White House, I learned the importance of, of staff and a good staff for a good president. But, wow, if you've got a president who's suffering from the first problem, uh, I would like to know who was really making the decisions uh, when it comes to anything else in the White House, whether it's, I mean, it could be the vaccines, it could be, you name it. Uh, I mean, I'm beginning to think this is a real problem. And worse, we've got all these foreign adversaries that are watching President Biden every single minute, and I think they're taking advantage of it. Well, well Jeff, if I, if I can put two points to this, number one, it is, as you say, national security threat because... We have very real uh, adversaries in the world today, and they are they're taking advantage of the cognitive decline of of Joe Biden. But but the but the Twenty Fifth Amendment, people keep saying, oh, but they should enact it. They will never. The, the cabinet is the one who initiates that, and they will never right. in, initiate that because uh, with with President Biden wandering around the White House, not knowing where he is and who he's with, what you get is. You get the, if you're Lloyd Austin, now you have your, a, a tremendous amount of power over the Department of Defense because you really have no one who's capable of interpreting your, um, uh, you know, your acts and, 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 and putting any kind of constraints on them. Same with Treasury or, or labor or right. anywhere else. And so they will never do that. That's a flaw in the 25th Amendment because it actually incentivizes dishonest or disreputable um, people who may be sitting in, in the cabinet from ever bringing that to bear, disclosing it to the American public so we can make a, a change and, and get a president who is capable of leading us. And we have one right now who is incapable of leading this country. And I, that's why something like 70% or more of Americans think he's doing a terrible job. Well, that's right. Uh, you know, and as I've often said to people, well, all you have to do is go to the gas station. All you have to do is go to the grocery store, and you can see uh, 
you know, what the results are of uh, his policies or his decisions. And the thing that it does worry me, and I, I'm sure you know the story of Woodrow Wilson having a stroke, mm-hmm. and uh, his his wife and his private secretary, uh, a guy named Joe Tumulty, who was a Wilson loyalist from his days as governor, and uh, his private physician basically closed a ring around him, and the doctor said to Mrs. Wilson, "Don't bring him any decisions because it'll it'll you know worsen his physical situation." So she made the decisions. I'd like to yeah. know where are these people uh, right now, and we're we're coming up to the end of a minute here. So, um, I, just your thoughts on this? Well, I look at some Obama holdovers. I look at the his chief of staff, Ron Klain. I, I think he wields a tremendous amount of decision making authority. And then, as I say, um, unless it's a, some kind of centralized decision that has to be made. Uh, it's all it's it's all independent, separate fiefdoms of the of the cabinet officials, and and uh, that's my perception. I, I you know, I, I don't know that that's a hundred percent accurate, but it certainly seems to be the way right. this administration's ma- being managed. Congressman Biggs, thank you very much for being here today. We will definitely follow you, and good luck. Thanks, Jeff. This is Jeff Lord with the Word of the Lord podcast and the Sean Hannity Show. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jeffrey Lord of the Word of the Lord podcast and thejeffreylord.com. I am filling in for our friend Sean Hannity who will be back after the new year taking a long and deserved Christmas vacation, in which, as I said, he will be coming back tanned, rested, and ready. We are going to uh, have our next, as our next guest, James O'Keefe of Project Veritas, and what a stunning amount of work James has done. Uh, There were some things I'm prepared to talk to him about, but I've learned something else since uh, we're getting ready to go on the air, and he will uh, discuss this with us. So, uh, please stay tuned. Dial in Sean, 800-941-7326. And uh, we look forward to having you come back, and uh, we will be back soon. Thank you. 